Hey, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates President Trump, though he's loud and clear these days. We take a look at the current administration and we address the existential threats to America. Some believe that threat is uh, COVID. I believe it's a serious matter. I don't believe it's an existential threat. John Hinderocker of Powerline will join us today. He's one of the founders of Powerline. He's the president of the Center of the American Experiment in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Dr. Hinderocker, we'll call him. How are you, John? I'm doing great, Bill. Oh, depressed, though. Yeah. Well, how can you not be? <laughs> man, oh, man. I was just on a taping for the Martha McCallum show on, on Fox, and a mom called in, and she said, how do I keep my kids calm? You know, and I said, well, first, you be calm. Tell so most people are not going to get this virus. Second, 98, 99% of the people who get it are going to get over it. And she said, boy, that's not the message you get from the media. It right, right. All alarm all the time. You know what strikes me, John? I mean, a lot of things we'll talk, but the old bully pulpit. You know, the presidency is a great bully pulpit, and that's that's showing. It makes a difference that you know we used to say. Not necessarily will you can the president tell people what to think, but he can certainly tell them what to talk about. And the media is an incredible bully pulpit, and it's boy, it's twenty four seven. The media also can turn on a dime. You know, when President Trump blocked travel from China at the end of January, that was racist and xenophobic. And there are all kinds of articles in the press about how, you know, don't overrate the coronavirus. It's not that serious. It's not that different from regular flu. I'm not entirely sure those articles were wrong, by the way, Bill. <laughs> I know, I know, no, but they'll, they'll turn and they, no apologies by them. You know? No, no, no. Uh, no, at the same time when Trump was taking effective action and they were calling him a racist, it, now, a month, you know, two months later, uh, the, the, the Chuck Todd is on television asking, asking Joe Biden, of all people, does President Trump have blood on his hands? That's right. Okay, I like to slug that guy. Yeah, that's right. And Morning Joe, former Republican, I don't know if you heard this one, he said, so Donald Trump, when he said, you know, we need to get back to work, he said, Donald Trump is prepared to sacrifice the lives of the greatest generation, the veterans of the Korean War and the veterans of the Vietnam War in order to save the Boeing Corporation. God almighty, you know? <laughs> it's unbelievable. But your thing, your thing about turning on a dime and having no shame, one of the things that amazed me just <clears throat> was when they were giving out the awards at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And thank God, one of the great things President Trump has done or not done is he does not go to those dinners. Right. Uh, Mrs. Bennett and I used to go. We walked out on a couple. They were so disgusting and gross. President goes and gets insulted by the press. You know, what's the point of doing that? He gets that every day. No, I... But they were giving out awards at this dinner. I'm going to shut up soon, I promise. The interview's for you, not for me. But uh, they were giving out awards at this dinner, John. Uh, you know, excellence in, in uh, journalism for people who dug in on the uh, argument that the uh, president was colluding with the Russians. And here's first place award. But it was false. It was wrong. <laughs> They're applying a different standard, Bill. You're an old-fashioned guy. You're applying a standard of truth. They're applying a standard of political utility for the Democratic Party. All right, here's my first question. Do you remember impeachment, and how many years ago was that? (laughs) You know, this last month, Bill, felt like it lasted for about five years. And and it it is a point worth making, though, that at the time when the Wuhan virus was getting out of control in China, and when President Trump, uh, you know, when Tom Cotton was, was sounding the alarm, when President Trump was beginning to move against it by, um, by blocking uh, uh, travel from, from China to the U.S., 
what, what was going on in Washington? What were the newspapers full of? Impeachment. Nothing but impeachment. And I think this whole uh, situation that we're in with the, uh, with the virus points up how, how petty that whole thing was. Sure was. Let's talk about this. Um, you have been writing great stuff, and we got a link up. Boy, last, uh, earlier this week, I went to Powerline. You had the first five or six uh, entries, and it's a great site. Everybody should go to Powerline. But uh, you've been writing very very intelligently, very probatively on this, and um, been performing a, a, a public service. Let me I, I open-ended question, answer it any way you want. We we know how the media is talking about this. Um, very serious. It is a potential national catastrophe. We have shut down a lot of the country because of it. How serious is this coronavirus in your eyes? Well, I don't think we really know, Bill. Um, I don't think we really know, but but the, the, the total loss of perspective in the media is what drives me crazy. And, and it's almost as if people have lost sight of the fact that, that people die. You know, in the United States, every day, somewhere close to 8,000 people die on the average. And, and you know, just two years ago, the, the annual seasonal flu bug, uh, according to the CDC, killed 61,000 Americans. And that wasn't even a news story. <laughs> they didn't shut anything. People didn't even notice, you know. And, and so I, I think we have to have some sense of proportion. And, and, and we have to keep in mind that we're not all equally um, threatened here. Do you, you remember the, you know, the last real hysteria about an epidemic, I think, Bill, was AIDS. You remember that from the 1980s? Of course, of course. And do you remember that there was this whole false theme that we could all get it? You know, heterosexuals are equally at risk, right? Turned out to be completely false, totally false. And I think there's a parallel to what's going on now. I mean, the fact is that, that while there are flukes, there's no question about it. I mean, you read about the, you know, 28-year-old marathoner who died in Italy, you know, apparently from coronavirus. It can happen. But overwhelmingly, if you look at the numbers, it is older people and people with compromised immune systems who are going to succumb to this. The rest of us may get it. Half the people who get it don't even know they had it because they have no symptoms. That's what we learned from the Diamond Princess. So, so it seems to me that rather than using this blunt force approach of shutting everybody down, uh, unemploying millions and millions and millions of people, uh, you know, we ought to have a much more targeted approach, and uh, we ought to be focusing on protecting the people who are the most vulnerable, and not scaring everybody else and unemploying, you know, a big chunk of the of the rest of the country. I have uh, written some of the same ideas. And they said, well, you don't care then about old people. And I said, I would like to point out, for the record, my wife hates this when I do it, that I am, you maybe saw my byline, I am 76 and I have underlying conditions. Several of them. I'm the bullseye in the target, talking, you know. Yeah, well, they're talking about people over 60 being vulnerable. And I looked at that and said, well, hell, that's me. <laughs> There you go. No, I, I, I know. And it's it's uh, th there's a better way to do it. I want, I want to talk about that. But uh, let me just ask you, because you, when I said how serious is it, you said, I don't know. Uh, why not say that if you don't know, uh, and it could be really, really serious, take the maximum precautions and, you know, shut the country down. Why not? Well, because we can't shut the country down indefinitely. Uh, and, and we have some idea of how bad it's going to be because we didn't get it first. You know, the European countries generally got it before we did. 
and uh, and the Asian countries got it before we did. And so different countries have had, you know, varying results, but they're within a range. You know, this is not going to kill a million people in the United States, and that's just not going to happen. And it seems to me, you know, that the whole idea of shutting down the country uh, is only intended to slow the spread of the virus, not to stop it. I mean, when the country reopens, the virus is going to keep spreading, Right. And so the whole idea of slowing down the spread of the virus is two things. Number one, you don't want hospital and ventilator and healthcare personnel resources to all be burdened at once. You want to spread it out over a period of time. And two, by, by slowing the spread of the virus, we hope that effective treatments can be, can be developed and, uh, and deployed. But sooner or later, we've got to come out of this. And when we do, the virus is going to resume, resume spreading. And so, however bad it's going to be, and we don't really know how bad it's going to be, although I think we have, a, you know, we have some idea, um, you know, the real question is, what's, what's the most effective thing to do right now? And in my opinion, if, if a whole bunch of deaths are being predicated on the idea that we're going to have a shortage of hospital beds and ventilators, well, rather than shutting the whole country down, let's take some of the productive capacity of this country and make a bunch of ventilators and provide for a bunch of hospital beds, which, of course, we're doing. So much here. Uh, first of all, it, it seems to me a lot of the, the reports, I keep thinking about this mother at home who, who I talked to by, by TV today, uh, being scared to death and her kids being scared to death, everything she's hearing. There's a kind of imperviousness to any good news. Uh, and there is some good news, like the rates of infection are decreasing uh, and more and more people are being released. Uh, and there looks to be some things that, uh, uh, you know, maybe may be helpful. And there are large swaths of the country that are virtually impervious uh, to this. But I don't talk about those things so much as the imperviousness to reporting those things. And. Here's a piece of data that Seth Liebson and I, you know, Sethy and I have written two pieces now on this. Um, how old are the people who die from this on average in the United States? We cannot get this. I know that 80 percent, John, are over 65. Uh, and, you know, I don't uh, that's not a better death than a, than a younger death, though I think. We tend to be more solicitous for good reason for to, to younger people than older people. Um, you know, we, we, we save the young. There's a priority on saving the young. That doesn't mean anyone, anyone should die or we should, get, we should give up anyone. But what is the average age? I was shocked. The first shock I had where I wanted to yell it from the rooftops was about Italy when I learned that the average age of the people dying from the coronavirus was 80.5. Life expectancy in Italy is 83. I'm not saying those two and a half years can't be your golden years, but come on, you know? Right. No, that is so true. And one of the reasons why the coronavirus has hit Italy so hard statistically is because that's an old society. You know, Italians stopped having children at some point. Yeah, that, that's part of the problem. No. Also, I guess, is this true, John, that I saw a picture of Chinese workers in northern Italy making the elaborate, um, you know, Italian leather things, the goods mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that the women love to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently there were like thousands of Chinese workers uh, in, well, in northern there's Italy. There's more to the story than that, too, Bill. I wrote about this on Powerline, and it's got a lot of attention, especially on on Facebook. Um, China has this program, it's, it's O-B-O-R, one something, I forget what the B is, one road. 
And what they do is they, I'm not, I'm not clear on all the, the economic details of it, but they make funding available to other countries for infrastructure projects if they will use uh, Chinese companies and Chinese labor. And there are two countries that have signed up for this. And lo and behold, those countries are Italy and Iran. And one of the reasons why Italy has had so many coronavirus deaths is that they, you know, they, they had a whole bunch of Chinese workers in Italy because of that program. Same with Iran. 300,000 Chinese, 300,000 Chinese in Italy. And so that is an important part of the reason, I think, why those two countries have been hit so hard. There you go. Um, let's stay with those numbers a second, because I was, I was doing these numbers up. The other day, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, 8,000 people die a day. We just, uh, I was just exchanging numbers with Seth for another piece we're writing. We have now, what, 5,000 deaths in the U.S.? 4,000? Is it 4,000 or 5,000 this morning? I can't remember. Yeah, it depends what source you look at. I've been looking at the Centers for Disease Control, but it, it's in the, the 4,600 uh, 4, to 5,000. Uh, type range total so far, yeah. So heart disease is about uh, 51,000 a month, 54,000 a month every year. Cancer, about uh, 50,000. Accidents, unintentional injuries, about 14,000, 15,000. Chronic respiratory diseases, about 14,000, 15,000. Stroke, 13,000. Alzheimer's, 10,000. Influenza, 5,000. Um, right. Uh, suicide, 47,000 uh, or 4,000 a month. So um, is this a privileged, a kind of privileged uh, sickness or illness? It's getting all this attention. We're, we're hearing about people. There's two things about hospitals. Let me just get this out. And that's the first question. Is it privileged? And second is our uh, other serious illnesses being pushed, put to the side. Uh, I found out yesterday, you know, a lot of elective surgeries being put off to the side right. and i i was just doing my own informal survey of people from a good six foot distance of course um what do you think is elective surgery and a lot of people think elective surgery is, is plastic surgery cosmetic it's not elective surgery is very serious surgery most often Pe most people right. opt for elective surgery for relief of pain serious pain like getting my knee replaced because I was bone on bone and it was hurting. So right. th those things are being put off. But the other thing I've heard talking to nurses and doctors, and I sympathize very much here with what they're facing, but part of what they're facing is a panic, and panic creates panic. Panic creates crowds going to the hospitals and the emergency rooms and saying, you know, I got a cold. I, I want to see if I have coronavirus. Back to the first question, are we treating this as a kind of privileged, special disease? Well, we obviously are, Bill. There's no question about that. I, I think the only question would be to what extent that's justified. I think there's a couple of things going on. One is the fear of the unknown. You know, people know about cancer. They know about heart disease. Fair they enough. know they can have a car accident. This is something new and uncertain, and people hate uncertainty. You know, they fear the unknown. That's so I think that's part of it. And I think the other part of it is that we don't have any journalism today except agenda journalism. That is the only journalism we have. So, so when President Trump stopped flights in from China, 100% of our journalists said Trump's a racist because that's their agenda, right? And then when it turned out, oh, no, he was right all along, it was a serious problem, and now we have some people dying, then they turn on a dime and they say, oh, Trump 
Trump didn't respond strongly enough. Trump's incompetent. Trump has blood on his hands. And so, and so the same agenda that caused them to first minimize coronavirus now causes them to exaggerate it. And so we have nothing but Wuhan virus in the news uh, day after day. And, and it's no wonder that, that, that people get scared. Right. I agree. I'm coming back to your suggestion earlier, well, maybe what we should do uh, is make sure, you know, there are enough ventilators and enough hospital beds. Well, yes, we should. But you don't have enough ventilators or hospital beds for the crowds that are hitting the emergency rooms now. Because, yeah, I think that's a, that, that's a really interesting point. You know, here in Minnesota, I haven't seen the numbers nationally, but I've seen them in my state, Minnesota, as of a few days ago. Ninety-three percent of the COVID-19 tests that have been administered were negative. And, and so what's happening is that people have got a cold, you know, or they've got their regular seasonal flu, but they're scared to death. They're afraid they've got coronavirus. And, and I think all of these tests, I may be wrong about this, but I don't believe you can just walk in and say, test me. In other words, I think all of these tests have been, have been ordered by a physician, requested by a physician. Um, but, you know, what's happening is that everybody, and, and again, I don't, I don't blame people for this. You can understand the, the mentality. But everybody who catches a cold is afraid he's got COVID-19. And so I, I haven't seen numbers on this, Bill, but I don't doubt that you're right, that there's a whole lot of people flocking to emergency rooms and, and besieging doctors and, and nurses who are, you know, who are basically okay. Hey, can I raise another totally different subject, Bill, that's, that's really bothering me about this whole thing? You can, but we're going to come back to Minnesota, remind me, because I want you to talk about what the great thing you wrote about Minnesota, Minnesota Iowa, and Missouri. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Well, so, so you know, um, one thing about this shutdown, you know, I talk about it as a virtual shutdown of the economy, but that's not quite right, because there's all kinds of things that are open. And, and as usual, the government is picking winners and losers. So my wife points out, she goes to the local mall, and there are all these stores that are closed. They're all small businesses. There's a clothing store closed. There's a nutritional supplement store closed. There's a sporting goods store closed. Well, on the other side of the parking lot, there's a Target, right? Target is essential. Target is open. They sell sporting goods. They sell clothes. They sell nutritional supplements. And their parking lot is packed. Now, if I'm one of these small business people looking at that and wondering, what the heck? You know, why, why am I shut down? And Target's uh, doing a land office business. And that's one of the problems with these blunt government instruments. Inevitably, uh, you know, you pick winners and losers. And so now you try to make up for that with a $2 trillion stimulus that every small business in America can apply for. Uh, extraordinary. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, maybe the, uh, maybe the clothing store should say, and we stock toilet paper and then petition the government to open back up. Yeah, right. And of course, and of course, Bill. Thank goodness they haven't shut down the liquor stores. But it kind of makes you laugh, doesn't it? I mean, supposedly all the essential businesses are operating. Well, they they knew that there'd be a riot in the streets if they shut down the liquor stores. <laughs> so in, in North Carolina, that's where we are. We're holed up here uh, in North Carolina that the governor was going to shut down the liquor stores. And actually, you'd have a debate in North Carolina about that because it just they just went to liquor for, by the drink about 20 years ago, you know. So you'd, you'd actually have a debate. But... Uh, um, but they shut down the gun stores for sure. The gun stores aren't open, right? Small businesses. But are they selling guns at Target? Or maybe they stopped. Oh, I don't think they do. No, I don't think they do. 
Okay. No, but the winners, I want to talk about that too, Trey. I'm going to get to that. But can we come back to this thing? Because I found that to be one of the most fascinating things, which I did not know about. Tell us about Minnesota comparison, if I remember it correctly. I read it two days ago. Missouri and Iowa. Shut well, I wrote this long post, you know, and again, we at Powerline, we've just been trying to make sense of the of the data, you know, trying to keep up with what's happening and analyze it as best we can and, and try to make some sense of it. But what I was writing about there was this University of Washington outfit, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, which I think is a Bill Gates initiative in part. And they've been doing modeling. And of course, one thing a lot of people don't understand, Bill, is that a model isn't evidence. A model is a hypothesis, and you test the model against experience, against reality. You know, it's, the, it's experience that governs, not the model. But they're doing extensive modeling on the, on the coronavirus, and, uh, and, 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 and one of the things that makes it so interesting to me is they do it on a state-by-state basis. And so for Minnesota, as of a day or two ago when I did my post, their model was projecting um, a total of 1,039 deaths in Minnesota due to COVID-19. Now, that was just a matter of days after our governor did a press conference and said that he's looking at a model that projects 74,000 deaths in Minnesota uh, if we don't shut everything down. And so to save 74,000 lives in our state, um, you know, everything is, is, is shut down, of course, except for the Target stores. So there's the spread. You've know, you got the University of Washington outfit saying 1,000. You've got our governor saying 74,000. And you know, Bill, that if only 1,000 people die in this state, he's going to claim credit for saving 73,000. And so one of the things I, I wanted to look at is, well, if, at least if you look at this source, this University of Washington source, are their forecasts based on different states' shutdown policies? So I went in and I looked and I identified states that, that they were classifying as being in shutdown, and that included Minnesota. And I compared the forecasts with states that they were classifying as not being in shutdown, which included states like Iowa and Missouri. Uh, and others, and 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 that that doesn't explain it. In other words, at least their model isn't projecting any difference that you can see in uh, per capita fatality rate between the states that have got shutdown orders and the states that that don't. Now, what do you make of that? Uh, hard to say. The really the the main point of that post was, you know, these models need to be transparent. You know, we, the public deserves to know what assumptions are being made when the governor gives a press conference and, and he says 74,000 people will die in this state, which I think translates to something like 3 million nationwide, if you do the math. He said, you know, if, if I don't shut everything down, 74,000 people are going to die. Uh, inquiring minds want to know what what are the assumptions behind that? What are the numbers, the arithmetic behind that? But nobody will tell you that. You know, what assumptions are they are they making about among among many other things um, about the availability of drugs that that can that can help? You know, there's the 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 malaria drug that we've all heard so much about, and it's being used in combination with a couple of other things, including zinc. And many doctors, both in the U.S. and overseas, are saying that it's giving it's giving very helpful results. You know, so so my view is, you know, let's let's not shut the whole world down. Let's expedite identifying and deploying 
helpful therapies. Yeah, just on that last, I asked a question. I was uh, doing a show called Wise Guys on, on Fox Nation. I asked a question to the doctor. I said, yeah, this is, a, I guess, a dumb question from a civilian, but I know you got to have massive testing and all that. I said, but in France, I think it's been confirmed, they, they had 80 patients with coronavirus, and, and they gave them hydroxychloroquine, which you're talking about, or that's one version. And 78 of them, you know, were fine, came out fine. I said, isn't that enough? I mean, it's a pretty good number, you know. It's about 98%, 97%. Isn't that yeah, enough to at least others. give? Yeah, and others have done the same. There was the uh, the uh, uh, Orthodox community in, in New York, um, uh, you know, b- above the city that, that doc did the same thing, had the same results. At least... You know, if if people have the virus and they want to avail themselves of it and people say, well, it's untested, I guess we're starting to do that. But, you know, why the heck not? Well, if people really think that this virus is such a disaster, we are nuts if we delay the deployment of things like this that, that have shown potential uh, because we've got to go through months and months and months of uh, Food and Drug Administration protocols. The nice thing about the malaria drug, uh, chloroquine, whatever it is, there's a couple of, couple of versions of it, but the nice thing about these are existing approved drugs. We know that they don't have a, you know, a ton of side effects and negative uh, implications. They're being widely used already. Uh, and so there's no, you don't have to you know, start testing my laboratory rats. You know, these, are, these are well-known drugs, and I can't see any reason why we can't uh, deploy them widely. One of, the, one of the things I think is at the heart of the matter, let's go back to your Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri. So uh, one state has a stay-at-home order, Minnesota. The other two don't. Projections from University of Washington modeling, or they, the three of them end up pretty much the same. So what's the loss? Now, here's, here's where it gets really interesting to me. Um, a lot of people who are taking this, uh, this disease, this, this, uh, this virus very seriously, really are either blind or indifferent or way underestimate the cost of shutting down a community, a city, a state, a country. I'm not an economist. I don't know. But I've talked to people like Steve Moore and other people. And I say, how long can we do this? Steve Moore said, and he said he thought others he'd spoken to said the same. He said, maybe through the end of April. He said, I'm not sure you can recover this economy after that. That's, that's one point. Now, to that, I noticed a lot of the media says, well, you're putting the economy money uh, ahead of life. But that ain't it either. Because when you shut down an economy or country, your balance, your life balance may be worse than with the virus. Uh, suicide, alcoholism, child abuse, um, opioid abuse, you know, my OB um, increasing, um, despair, um, you know, just people going hungry, people going without medical care. I, the, the, actually, just the very body count, I think it's entirely plausible to assume, might be worse from shutting down the country than the body count from the virus. Is that plausible to you? I think it's entirely plausible. When we talk about the economy, Bill, we're talking about hundreds of millions of people's lives. You know, when people say, oh, you're just talking about money, that's just incredibly stupid, right? We are talking about hundreds of millions of lives here. Unemployment is a terrible thing. Not having money is a terrible thing. I mean, and, and you know, $2 trillion in, in, on the national debt is a terrible thing. And, and you're absolutely right about, about suicide and opioids and so forth. There's a lot of social science research on this. Um, wealth saves lives. 
rise. When people's incomes rise, um, they live longer. And conversely, when they fall, they, they, they don't live as long. And it's not just the poverty level either. You know, that, it, it's true up the scale. And so there's a, there's a lot of empirical support for the idea that if you impoverish the country, you're killing people. You know, more people will die. And, and, but it's not only the people who die, you know, it's the, it's the, you know, it's the despair uh, that, that goes with the failure of a small business. One of those numbers that we see all the time about, you know, a, a huge number of Americans cannot go, you know, uh, 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 cannot survive their savings or everything else for more than two weeks or a month. So now you have a situation, John. I was talking to a guy yesterday in Las Vegas who's a manager of a, one of the hotels, the big hotels out there. He said there are 160,000 uh, domestic workers, uh, hotel workers, in, you know, on the Strip and in the area, <clears throat> maids and, uh, you know, waiters and so on. And most of them in the big hotels are being furloughed for a month with pay. After that, there will be no pay. And where will they be able to get a job? Just think about that. Where do you go then for a job? Because there's nobody's hiring. Because nobody's doing anything. Walmart, I guess, is hiring and probably Target for what you said earlier. Amazon, I think, is hiring for their warehouses. But otherwise, where do people go? And when people don't have money, everything suffers for them, right? Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, the economic damage, the da- which means the damage to many, many millions of lives, that's a that's a pretty much a known commodity. It is certain it's happening right now, and as long as the shutdown continues, it, it's, it gets aggravated, it gets worse and worse. Uh, that's the known commodity. I think the virus is the unknown commodity. But um, to me, the economic damage is so severe that, um, you know, what, what we're doing is kind of like, uh, you know, taking out a shotgun uh, to, to shoot a mosquito. You know, we're going about this in the, in the clumsiest, most expensive possible way. And I think, I think there's, there are much more targeted approaches that would be nowhere near as damaging economically and maybe more effective in terms of actually protecting vulnerable people. Right. Um, the other uh, analogy, animal analogy, is, have you heard this one or thought about this one, is the house cat and the elephant. You know, the house cat attacks the elephant and hides under the elephant, and the elephant, you know, just can't get him and gets clawed enough, finally throws himself off the cliff. So, um, and that's the worry about, about, about the large economy. So the president, and I'm a big supporter of the president, saying, well, we'll look at the situation at the end of April. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you've got to let people go back to work. Now, in saying that, am I prepared, you know, to put the 71,000 at risk in Minnesota? No, because here I'd like to turn toward, toward something we might do. You familiar with the, Lord knows, quoting him for the first time I can remember, Tom Friedman idea? Yeah, you know, yeah, okay. sure. So this is, you may know it better than I, vertical interdiction rather than horizontal interdiction. Rather than locking everybody up, uh, everybody stay at home. Take the people who are at risk, the old people with underlying conditions, you stay home. People who are symptomatic, infectious, and who test positive or test positive, they stay home. And everybody else goes back to work. Well, I think we almost have to do something like that. One of the problems, I think, Bill, is that the, the incentives for politicians are 100% perverse. You know, uh, I think I think the Trump administration figured out very quickly after first he would, he was kind of optimistic. It was like I'm stopping travel from China. This is a problem, but don't panic. You know, don't panic. It's going to be okay. 
And I think they very quickly figured out there's no percentage in that. Uh, nobody's ever going to fault you for, for doing too much. You're only going to be faulted if you don't do enough. And so I think we've seen overreaction, and I think we've seen a chain reaction of overreaction. So, for example, Florida, they did not have a shutdown order in place. I think they just, uh, Ron DeSantis, their governor, who's a great guy, great governor, I think uh, finally, you know, finally put one in place. And it, my guess is, I, I shouldn't, I'm not speaking for him, obviously, but my guess is that at some point, you know, he felt like he just didn't have any choice. You know, uh, all the governors are, are doing this. And if you don't do it, however many people die in your state, and there will be some, we know that, you're going to get blamed. That's right. Yeah. It's, and so I think all the incentives are for the politicians to say, you know what, uh, I'm just going to do the max, um, and, um, and I, I, I can't be criticized for it. Well, in the meantime, millions and millions of people are suffering. Let's talk about the $2 trillion. Um, I remember people balking at, you know, 100 million or 200 million for something or 500 million. Uh, and I certainly see why people's needs, people are trying to address people's needs and replace their, you know, their salaries and, and other things. But $2 trillion is a big percentage of the gross domestic product, isn't it? It's huge. I mean, it's unbelievable to me and the way these numbers get thrown around. You know, Steve Hayward had an interesting idea on Powerline. I, I don't know if this is viable or not, but I hope somebody is looking into it. You know, we owe China a lot of money, right? China's been our banker for the last 20 years. They hold all these trillions of dollars in government bonds, you know, in dollars. And I, I don't know what the mechanics of, of that, of those exchanges are. I don't this is all beyond my pay grade. But Steve Hayward had the idea. You know, there's, there's the ancient common law right of set-off. If you owe somebody money, but, but you think they owe you money, uh, you can set off their alleged debt to you against your debt to them. And how about if we do that with China? How about if, uh, you know, when we're paying off this huge debt that we have to China, and, we, and however that works mechanically, how about if we say, you know what, China, we're setting off $2 trillion dollars against what we're going to pay you, because this is your fault. Well, also, there is a, there's another thing I, I have to know about this, because some friends are involved in it, which is that uh, they actually do owe us money from uh, these bonds that helped uh, to support China way back when, and they committed, promised, to pay that money back. Uh, this was uh, way back in the 20s and 30s, uh, and uh, it's now, a, I don't know, I think it totals something like a trillion dollars. Uh, and um, a lot of people are arguing that money should be paid back by China or offset, as you put it, against the money uh, that we owe them. But I did want to turn to China. Uh, how about this? You mentioned Tom Cotton. He's one of my heroes. And um, I asked him about this. So he was on the podcast a week ago. And he said, when this is behind us and, you know, or we've seen the worst of it, there will be a reckoning. There has to be a reckoning. And um, I agree. Uh, there has to be a reckoning. Your idea you just mentioned, John, any, any other reckoning for China, you think? Well, I think there's going to be a, uh, absolutely an economic reckoning. Well, one of the things we're learning here, Bill, is Trump was right all along about China. You know, there's been the, the U.S. business community in general has, has had this, I think, kind of fairy tale image of, of China. You know, and the idea that you could move your manufacturing over there and take advantage of cheap labor rates and, you know, in, in some respects, kind of a compliant government, although in other respects, not so much like they steal your IP. 
you know, but it was almost like a fad. All these American companies think, oh, yeah, this is great. We've got to do business in China. Well, I think we're all learning that there's a, there was a huge downside in many ways, you know, to doing business in China and major advantages to doing your manufacturing, doing your business here in the United States. That was already a trend. I mean, the manufacturers were already opening up plants in Tennessee and South Carolina, you know, Texas, around the United States as opposed to uh, as opposed to Shanghai. And I think this is going to really accelerate that. If I ran a, a manufacturing company, there is no way I would want to have my, my eggs in that basket of China. No kidding. Yeah, I remember we, uh, on the radio show, you remember Morning in America, um, we had did that for 11 years on the radio. And we uh, one day we just, we had a guy call in and said, I, I, you know, I invested in China because I was charmed. I had this thought of, you know, these, uh, how many, how many, was it, how many billion people, billion people is it? Is that what they have? I um, lost track at least. Yeah, yeah, something. And by the way, did you see that other statistic that India, which has 1.4 billion people, has 800 cases? Come on, you know. Anyway, uh, for, never mind. Anyway, he said I was charmed by the idea of selling, you know, my little widget over there, and if I could get one percent of a billion, I'd be a rich man, you know. And so many people went over to China with that idea, and right. never got their money. Never got their money back. I have my own personal story. I don't know if I ever told you this, but they bought the rights to the Book of Virtues. You remember that book I did, the Book oh, of sure, Virtues? Oh, sure, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And uh, I, you know, I signed a little deal, and I got a check for like eighty-five dollars. A friend of mine said, "Gee, your book's everywhere in China, everywhere." <laughs> they they, <laughs> they took out the faith chapter, and they didn't send me my royalties. And they re, and they re, renamed it. Get this, you'll love this. You're a Dartmouth guy, right? They renamed it the William J. Bennett Harvard Book of Virtues. Right? 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 <laughs> Anyway, there is, and, we all know, Bill, there, there is no virtue at Harvard. I mean, that's a total misnomer. And they, st they just stole it, you know, stole it. I'm actually pursuing this. I've got some lawyers, some smart guys who are pursuing this on a you know contingent fund basis saying, as far as we can tell, you've sold about a million copies of your book there some version or another but that's 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 not typical i i don't care i've made plenty of money on that book but but what about the medicines right the medicines right, exactly. that we use Exactly. I mean, whoever thought it was a great idea to outsource, like, what is it, 85% of our generic drugs, something like that being manufactured. And, and before this all hit, there were news stories about how uh, some of these generic drugs were, were fakes. You know, they would be analyzed and, well, no, the active ingredient isn't in there, or it's not the right one. I mean, whoever thought that. And you know, do, you, do you know, Bill, where's, uh, what was the big center of generic drug manufacturing before it all got shifted over to China, Puerto Rico. Now, now is there a place, you know, an American protectorate uh, that could really use those jobs right now, really use that investment? You know, how about Puerto Rico? Um, I, I, but this kind of thing is going to happen, though. I mean, China is going to pay a huge price for this. In war, we drop ordinance on our enemies. And, I, you know, we're not dropping any on China, though one could argue it's deserved. Um, they do deserve some punishment for this, right? I mean, my gosh. I mean, some retribution, some financial, and otherwise uh, horrible what they've done to us. And the president's right to call it the Wuhan or Chinese virus. You know, when you talk about will there be retribution against China, yeah, uh, yeah. Bill, I don't know about formal retribution. You know, I, I'd, I'd be delighted if we could set off that $2 trillion the government's going to spend. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you this, they're going to suffer. They're going to suffer economically. Uh, I think yeah. the China bubble has burst. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are going to 
see advantages to, to doing business here in the United States. And I also think, Bill, you know, there, there have been some industries that have really pandered to the, not just to China per se, but to the communist Chinese regime. I mean, I think about Hollywood and I think about the National Basketball Association. You know, I think those, I hope anyway, those days are, are going to be behind us. People, you know, um, the Wall Street once once china in those all over our markets you know and uh who was it uh was pointing out to me that chinese owned uh companies uh, in america uh plus uh you know these uh, you know about the confucius institutes and in our distinguished universities right right all, right, all yeah. supported by china but um yeah, we'll see. I mean, I hope they pay a price. I hope they pay a big price. So let's say, and I don't want to keep you, you've been very generous for your time, but I want to end with two thoughts. How does this, how does this end, or where do we make the turn? Almost everybody thinks, no matter what model, correct me if I'm wrong, John, that around mid-month we're going to peak in terms of the deaths, and then the deaths numbers will start going down. Um, that is the trend toward more and more deaths every day. It'll be fewer and fewer deaths every day. Until we get to you know, June or July or something, and then it's going to be very light. Does it turn then? Does it turn at the end of April? Uh, that's my that's my first question. How, how does this? You have your view. I have mine. You, we you, we agree. We're in a minority. Um, I think you're right about the politicians being. You know, all the incentives are wrong. But where does this go? Um, and do we have do we have to pay another two or four trillion dollars before we get to some different way of doing things? I, you know, well, I don't know, Bill. I mean, um, you know, the Trump administration had that, you know, 30 days to slow down the virus. What are the 30 days up? I don't remember now. That, that's the, you know, the, 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 the shutdown orders in the various states have been, I think, a lot more tentative, you know, uh, and, and I think are likely to be extended. But, but maybe the only clue would be, uh, you know, at least as far as the Trump administration, what are those 30 days up? I, I think, you know, I mean, I don't see any of these shutdown enders, uh, orders ending before May, do you? I mean, I, I think, I, I, I'm going from memory here, but I'm pretty sure the one in my state is explicitly already through April. Then the only question is, does it get extended? Uh, so I, I think the, you know, basically I think the country is out of business for, for another month. Here's what I think. Let me interject my thought and then you digest it, spit it back out. I don't care. Um, that when you get to the middle of this month, That'll be a month for a lot of people who were furloughed uh, with pay. And after that, they're not going to be paid. They're going to be wanting to get their jobs back and make some money. Um, people are really going to be suffering in all sorts of industries. Um, we're going to certainly see, you know, toward the end of the month, the death rates going down. Um, you know, there's a clamor and then there'll be a louder clamor, I'm thinking, for let's letting things go back. Plus, this if you will, medical intervention, the, the vertical interdiction rather than the horizontal, you know, take the people who are at risk, take the older people, take the people who take positive, they stay at home and everybody else goes back, which seemed to me sensible. Anyway, even Cuomo said, I'm, I'm not so sure it was right to keep everybody home and let the, these young people go and um, uh, maybe in large numbers infect older people, you know. So um, that's that's my guess because... Nobody wants the country to collapse. I agree with you, Bill, and I think another factor is warm weather. I think there's good reason to think that, like like other flu viruses, this one will die down when weather gets warm. And as we get into May, obviously, in most parts of the country, that's uh, that's happening. But I, I, I hope you're right, Bill. I hope that by the end of April, 
the economic forces are so powerful that they're irresistible. And I think what, what, what the governors need to do and, and what Trump needs to do at that point is to claim some kind of victory. You know, you've got to be able to say that even though the virus hasn't gone away, people are going to continue to get it, the shutdown for six weeks or whatever it will have been at that time has been successful. You know, it, it's achieved its goal because ABC, and, and therefore, you know, we can, we, can, uh, we can let up. And I hope that the president and the various governors are thinking about that and are, you know, preparing for, for the day when they can, when they can let people uh, start living their, their lives again. Well, I'll close with one optimistic note, Bill. I, it, just this morning, Rasmussen Reports uh, came out with a, with a survey. Uh, in, in, their, in their survey of likely voters, 59% said they were concerned that the cure, uh, that is the economic damage, may be worse than the disease. And 30-some percent said they're very concerned that the cure is worse than the disease. So, you know, I, I hope that means that there's some sentiment building here where people are saying, look, I, I understand it's a, it's a bad disease, but, you know, we can't just shut down the country. Very good. And if they are persuaded of that, it will not, the least reason will not be your arguments in your posts, which have, you know, gotten a lot of attention, deservedly so, because they're so smart. You know, it can also... Also may turn out, you know, holy smokes, that chloroquine works. Yep, you know, it works. 96% mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. time, the chloroquine works. Okay, then my, then we'll end with Rosanna Dana. Remember her? Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> well, down the country, I, I no sure hope fine. that's the way it goes. I hope so, too. And, you know, no one's we've been laughing and stuff, but no insensitivity here about people who have it. And starting to a nurse who's in the hospitals and front lines and, you know, hats off, salutations to all those folks and sympathies to people who have it. But panic is a terrible thing. And, um, you know, what is what is uh, Thomas Moore say to Richard Rich and Man for All Seasons? Your your, your head is spinning. And, and I hope when it stops, it's facing straight. You know, it's facing front. <laughs> And yeah. it's just you know we got we we just have to look at, look at the facts look at everything and these models are that one last thing just that amazing thing in England where this guy Ferguson predicted a five hundred thousand deaths in England and then revised <laughs> right. it to twenty thousand exactly I I want you remember in the old math test where they where the teacher would say show your work. <laughs> I would, I would love to see his work. I would love to see what happened, you know, with, with the first set of numbers and the second set of numbers and what assumptions were changing there to go from. Not only was it, not only it was not, it was, it was fewer than 20,000, most of whom would have died in 2020 anyway. So, <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, it was like work. a 180-degree uh, turn. Yeah, there's, you know, as you go forward, there's the problem of crying Rolf, and then the next thing, people say, well, we don't have to take that seriously, and who knows it may be. And the other thing is the habit of dependence on government, you know? I mean, people may get their checks, but they're not getting them from the employer. They're getting them from government, and that's a bad habit to start. You know, Bill, I, I, this is a whole other conversation that we don't have time for, but I really worry that all these people, millions of people putting into the government for their money, that all of a sudden is available. I think a lot of people are going to come away with the idea that, well, apparently the government is just sitting on trillions and trillions of, of, of dollars. Why, why has it been holding out on me? <laughs> you know? where, where was my money last year? I, I, this whole concept of the government as the savior here makes me very nervous. 
Yes, sir. Thank you, John Hinderocker. Thank you very, very much. Keep up your great work. We read you every day. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Bill. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. A reminder for everybody, we've been talking a lot about China with our friend Brian Kennedy and with others, and we'll have other guests coming up talk about China. It is the most significant world presence for the United States to be concerned about, worried about, fearful about, aggressive about, proud of our president taking it on. I just want to say, stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger, China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You'll realize how important this is and how proud we are of the president for taking on China. Stay up to date on this. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett, and you can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show, folks. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please write us. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to read your emails, uh, some of them on, on the air. Right? We, we could use more. We get Especially, letters. Yeah, we get absolutely. Letters. Like, what's happening with you in, in your home, in your community yeah. during the coronavirus uh, outbreak, and what are you guys doing? Uh, email us. We'd love to share the podcast. I'd love for you to share the podcast with your family and friends. We will catch up next week, but write us. Claude, what is the address again if people want to write us? Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com. Oh, that would be on email, but if you want to send a letter... Uh, we would prefer little, that you just send the email you, as opposed to going to the no post office. You have no idea how to answer that, do you? <laughs> well, I mean, we could send it to your personal address, but I don't want to give that out right now. Or mine, okay. actually. Yeah. You don't want to give that out either. <laughs> no, I don't. Because oh, the virus might get it. Okay. Right. Oh, you know what, Dr. Bennett? Speaking of the virus, did you see some of the jokes going on on social media saying, hey, no. you know, if you wear a Cleveland Browns jersey, you won't catch the virus because they don't catch anything. Okay. Okay. That reminds me of the coach at uh, my son's uh, lacrosse team in um, in high school who said to one of the kids, man, you couldn't catch the Ebola virus. Same thing. Same joke. (laughs) Or, you know, if you don't want to get the uh, coronavirus, just become a liberal because they don't get anything. (laughs) Okay. 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 Do you believe, I mean, it's almost a joke. Do you believe Adam Schiff wants a committee to investigate the Trump handling of the, of the uh, coronavirus? Of course he does. Do you, do you remember impeachment? I, you know what? It seems like it was uh, six years ago. No, I mean, yeah. you know, here's yeah. the thing. I'm not surprised that he would want that. I mean, it's unbelievable, except the fact that given what he's done the last two years, it is believable. It is believable. All right. We'll catch up next week. We'll catch up next week.